Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California from the studios of Sirius XM West. Boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, Henry Zabrowski. An actor and comedian who can be seen in the Adult Swim series, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Season 3.5 is underway, airing Sundays at 11.30 p.m. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hail Satan. Thank you for having me. This is beautiful. Big fan. Love your your presence in I media. I still don't believe that. I, I don't have a presence in media. You have a presence that is a, like Louis Anderson's pants. It is a presence, and I I last. It's it's vast. And on a windy day, it can take you pretty far. <laughs> it could deafen children. The sound of his snapping pockets. But I do uh, love Jason L. Show. I listen to you very often. Um, recently, he was divulging like deeply about his S and M interests, which yes. I think was very interesting about him sitting with the bag and the stripper, like with well, the dom playing mm. with his dick and balls, like yes. in in the bag. Right. And I was like, that sounds kind of nice. Like I don't want to get spanked or anything, but I do like the idea of like being treated like an avocado that you're feeling for ripeness. Okay. I actually want to talk to you about your sexuality. Sure. So, uh, okay, before we we (laughs) talk about your Adult Swim show... I want to do all the PR stuff, all the stuff that I'm supposed to be here to do. Before we do that, no, I just want to talk to you about another thing that you worked on, which is the Netflix series, I guess you'd call it, The Characters. Yes, sir. Which had been in my queue for a while, and I'm glad it finally gave me an excuse to watch at least one of the episodes, which I enjoyed very much, your episode. Mine is very different than the others. I was okay. That was going to be one of my questions in because tenor. they really let you push the envelope too too much to the point where I think it killed the series. But they, I do know this did not do well. It did not do well, um, which I was. <laughs> no one was surprised by. It. But I feel that I mean we were all surprised because we thought we made something really special. You know, it's like in the characters. What we did was that I've been in a sketch comedy group for fifteen years called Murder Fist, and two of my writing buddies, uh, Holden McNeely and Ed Larson, who Ed Larson writes for Jeff Ross, and Holden McNeely and I have been working together for years. Um, we were we were like we we're trying to compress fifteen years of fucking heavy metal sketch comedy into a half an hour of Netflix's time. And they kept saying, like, yeah, go ahead. Every single time I'd, like, show up with a thing, they're like, yeah, do yeah. it. Now he's going to sodomize the squid. And they're like, yeah, okay. But I also didn't realize, like, we had a budget. But So, actually, so they were like, like, yes, 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 until two days before filming. And then they were like, we actually don't know if we can film any of this. Like, it was, like, two days before we started. Right. And, and we don't even have a standards and practices department, but this may be a problem for our standards and practices department. People are going to get upset. People just by my body. Like, by my body and, and that's my That's kind of what I want to talk to you about, yeah. Yeah. I have a peculiar body. I look like the Hollywood version of Dr. Robotnik. So, yeah, it's kind of weird to see you clothed. Yeah. Because I, I became so accustomed to your naked form on your episode of the characters. Would you uh, think? I'm I'm personally not in, not all that into it. Okay. Uh, just we may as well be. I understand. You know, I, just, I think I like you pretty much as a friend. Be honest. I understand. <laughs> I understand. I got different. I got I got that like I almost wish my pubes were more red. You know what I, I mean? They looked pretty red to me. But I'm not ginger. I actually I'm both like weirdly mm. 
thankful I'm not ginger just because it's like they're so red and they look just I think it's disgusting. I think a new ginger man is disgusting. You know, red, red, uh, it's tougher for a man to pull off than for a woman. But well, red is beautiful on a woman. It is. Well, it's like a nose ring. It's like a nose ring yes. when you're, as I've said many times on the Jason Ellis show, that's the hot chick barometer. If you're a beautiful woman, a nose ring makes you more beautiful. If you are ugly, it makes you even, it makes you, turns you into more of a, of a monster. Bull, of a bull type character. because yeah, <laughs> you look like a barnyard animal. <laughs> it's really disgusting. Yeah, it's really rough. Same it's thing hard. with red hair. It suits some women and some women I think it actually Actually, uh, works against them. Well, it just depends if they just did it. We're like, look, honey, I'm trying something new, and it's like it doesn't make you a different woman, Barbara. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But uh, yeah, you're not you're not a, a redhead. You're I guess you're more amber. Is what I'm I would call strawberry you. blonde. Okay, but my pubes are also very thin. Like I noticed the hair that. on the top of my head too, so you can see straight to my pubic mound. Uh-huh. You can see straight to my fupa. Yeah. And at the time, I was just starting working out. And now you can see this just, is a year just, and a half. Just later. starting. You do look. You do look tighter. More, uh, more slender than you did then. Yeah. I'm tighter. I'm more compact. I'm mm. kind of what's it? The um thin, thin outside to- Toby. The to- Tofi. Thin outside, fat inside. Does that make sense? I, this is the first time hearing of the acronym, but yeah, okay, fine. Tofi and Fupa. Uh-huh. I have a Tofi Fupa. You're you you are you're spiritually you have the inclinations of a fat man. Yes, I, I was that. very very large. I was 300 pounds. Oh wow! So I'm shrunk down. Uh, you, then you've lost like half of yourself. Literally, I needed to see my cock. It was like it finally got to a point. I had to, I had to start seeing my penis on a regular basis. Uh, that old canard. Yeah, and my blood pressure was like two hundred five right. over one seventy five. Yeah, right. So here's my question about you and you being naked on TV and your sexuality and all of that. I always wondered about, say, like a Chris Farley kind of guy. Is there a price that you pay in terms of your self-image and even your self-esteem when you make the trade that I am willing to – I know that my body is not perfect yes. and it's it's quite quite the contrary and it's funny. But – okay, here's what I think. When I jerk off to porn mm-hmm. – there has to be like some little part of me that feels like under the right circumstances with a couple glasses of wine, I could maybe actually have sex with this woman. Yes. And if I feel like I'm, it's not even possible, it, it ruins a lot of the illusion and all <laughs> masturbation is is an illusion. I'm, I'm the same exact way. So does it make it hard to jerk off to porn when you are debasing and embarrassing yourself on Netflix? You find it, but it's interesting because there's an other. Uh, there's an opposite effect. That's a part of why I started doing this. It's like I've done fully nude improv in New York, and it's like that was a thing I did for a while called Naked Boys Improvising. It was very, like, kind of like Lou Pearlman-y. You know what I mean? I'm guessing this was downtown. This is, this is downtown. It was 34th Street, the, the garment district. Oh, you guys at the, the old UCB? Uh, it was at uh, the uh, People's Improv Theater, their okay. original, uh, their original location on 29th Street, and so I um, was I I found. In college, started in college getting nude and then doing it later on. Number one, I do, I do probably have like a tiny sexual thrill that comes from it. You'd have to. I do. So like, you're a bit of an exhibitionist. Oh, definitely. It's like it's in there. Mm-hmm. And so there's you're a part the, of... I'm sorry. You're the guy at the party. I was. Yeah. But then I, I, I reel it back since then. But the idea is that when you... it's There's something about also flagrant sexuality where you kind of like do this like weird thing where you say I'm disgusting and I know I'm disgusting and I'm going to use it as a tool. It actually then... 
ends up bringing people to you sexually. It's like the opposite. It actually increases your odds because most of the time people are looking for a good time. Mm. Most of the time when people are looking for a sexual encounter, they're looking for something that's kind of like different and weird. And even though like on the inside, I'm actually very vanilla, my outer persona is really nuts. And so then it kind of it kind of levels a playing field a little bit more because it's like they'll have sex with you for a stunt. You know what I mean? So it got you laid. Yeah. Doing naked improv. Well, then I guess that's all that ultimately really matters. I guess that gives some credence to the whole um, the pickup artist theory on peacocking. Sort of. With the idea of being like, I go this far. Yeah. And then it's just like, and then it's like it shows confidence in a way, right. even though it's belying the deep, screaming void within. Mm. But it's like with Chris Farley, Chris Farley left nothing on the table. I think that's part of why he died. I think he also would, was yeah. distinctly bur- burning out. That and toward, the drugs. Yeah. 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 That did it. Also, 350 pounds just doing Suppose, like supposedly they had to get the last time and I've always wanted somebody to ask Lauren Michaels about this I almost asked David Spade about it because that's the closest I'm going to get to Lauren yeah. Michaels supposedly the last time Farley was on SNL he hosted SNL they were giving him oxygen during the breaks yes. and how can you in good conscience do that and keep running the guy out there and not and then not at 1.05 a.m. be like Everybody else going to the after party. You and me are going to urgent care. Yeah, we're putting you in an ambulance. Yeah. It's because they didn't give a shit. It's because then you learn that the Hollywood thing will be like, we, love, we loved Chris. It's like you would have the whole yeah. Lauren loves everybody. But in the end, it's like he is using you like you're a grape for wine. In the end, but I've listened, to, I've listened to enough interviews. I'm sorry to cut you off with, with um, uh, SNL cast members where he is not universally beloved, but dozens of them have human relationships with him that extend for decades after they were on SNL. So I just can't jibe that image of him with the guy who is willing to let Chris Farley neglect himself for a laugh. Well, he he picked who he picks who he's daddy to. I see, and then he picks who the, the, he are his favorites. And mm-hmm. then I think in the end it comes down to it's like he, there's only so much he can do to protect somebody from themselves. Yes. And then, and I think that's also that is the Hollywood virus is that when you see someone uh, really careening towards self destruction, everybody kind of gets away from that person so it doesn't get on them. I see. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's a cruel version of show business, but I do see it a lot, and I think it does get to a point where they also did a lot of reach out for Chris Farley. Okay. There was a lot. They they talked about how he used that in the the Chris Farley show, that book, the Farley show. It's like talking about how he used a lot of people in terms of like, I need help, I need help, and then like would go to rehab and then disappear from rehab. So he burned a lot of bridges too, which is hard because I look at Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Obviously, is the reason why I'm a comedian. Obviously, it's like that thing. He showed me, oh, being funny gets you accepted, gets you laid, gets you friends, gets you power, gets you money. And so it's like he, like, I, I don't know. He, he just he just used it up. He just used it up. And then eventually, I just think that they just look at him and just being like, this is as much we can do. We at least gave him money to host. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess you're right. Uh, did you ever audition for SNL? Yeah, I tested. I did the whole uh, studio test. I went up. It was, uh, what's, what's that all about? I've never even heard of this. Man, it is. Uh, it's a psychological torture game. Mm-hmm. So it's basically it's like me. It was like me and like 22 other people. I was with Jay Farrow. That was the year that he booked. I know Jay Farrow. Okay. He's great, mm-hmm. cool motherfucker. It's like we like hung out. It was great. All of everybody like it becomes like an immediate like everybody bonds. It happens at nighttime. It happens like eight. 8 o'clock at night is when it starts. And then I go, they put me in a special room because at the time I was smoking. And so it's like they put me in one of the host's rooms so I could smoke. So I just sat and I chain smoked and waited for my slot. So there's 22 and they go through. And then what they do is they filter you to a side room that's like a holding tent that's like a closet. Like smaller than the studio. Like like a little fucking broom closet. And then they call you out to go on stage. And I literally sat in there for about half an hour. They're like, you're on deck. And they're like, Henry, ready to go. I walk 
walk up to the fucking 8H stage, walking through everybody. I see the whole the whole writer staff and Lauren, and they're like, hold, hold, hold. Lauren wants to take a break. They all leave through, and Lauren goes, I'm sorry. And then he walks out. They then, I held me for an hour. Oh. I sat in the tiny oh. broom closet. But it's fucking. Yeah, you had started to, to, to peak the adrenaline oh, and all yeah. that, of course, is going to. But they do that shit, though. They mm. do little games. Because right. it's a part of it's Can you handle it? Yeah. And so it's like, I, I did it. I got, like, I was told the way to do it was uh, see if you get laughs from the crew. Mm-hmm. And then I got a couple of chuckles from the sound man, and I was like, "I'm in." And then I got like a ho- I was on hold for four months. That was intense. So that's a thing that you was that a, a goal of yours? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you landed on your feet. Do you feel like you landed on your feet? I learned a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. I, I would not have done. I would not have been able to be in the Wolf of Wall Street. I would not have done your pretty face going to hell. I, the, every opportunity kind of came from that. That was like oh, even just getting in the running will get you some currency. Oh, it's. Because oh, well. think about it, you, they, they always have those lists of the people that tested it and didn't make it. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. It's weird. It's almost like uh, that whole crew, because the whole crew I was in, they're all working. Uh, Everybody's working. Everybody was all, they're all on either commercials or television shows or stuff. So it's people kind of already on the way. There's so many of you fucking guys nowadays. I, 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 yeah. I feel like, and it's it's almost like because stand-up comedians used to get and still get lots of, you know, acting roles and comic, what have you, but there's like one of them. With improv troops or sketch troops, there's like there's five of you at a time. Yeah. But it seems like there's as many sketch troops and improv troops as there are. So which I mean, there's just like this city is crawling with. Uh, I, I would never want to have to start over again. No, it is so. I, this is uh, even when we started because we started in sort of like the sketch comedy boom in New York in like 2005, 2006, right? And it was like, and then Whitest Kids You Know booked that show, yes. and it became the thing of being like, oh, sketch groups can book shows again. It's like the Kids in the Hall days, so it's like you don't have to just do Saturday Night Live; like you can get a show. And we were in the running with like a hundred different sketch groups, and it's like now with the internet, that was before YouTube really was like yeah. a, the size and the the amount of influence that it was that it has now because now it's just as big as fucking television so it's it's yeah. it's i can't imagine starting now i've had people ask me being like hey henry i want to be a podcast comedian with like what what should i do and i just want to be like just don't just don't do it man be a chef i pretty much tell people do exactly what you want to do and do it as a podcast because if it would be so hard for you to get a job that you don't even want to become like you'd be very very lucky to become a uh, you know, an adult contemporary DJ. Yeah, that's a huge get, and and yet you will hate doing that oh. instantly because you're a glorified voiceover artist. So what you may as well do is swing for the fences do your own thing and do it exactly the way that you want to hear a show and hopefully something that nobody else is doing the exact same thing as you and then just hope because one of these days one of these days i don't really think it has happened yet one of these days somebody is going to start doing a podcast in their house in not a coastal city and it is going to become a really really big thing it'll be like a real life wayne's world kind of thing absolutely and if that happens you will actually be able to enjoy that success because you will have built a thing by yourself that you actually where you actually believe in the product yeah that's That's the only way to do it but get a fucking job while you do that because it's not gonna work well you just you got to know in your heart of hearts that it's not going to work, but like yes. defy yourself <laughs> yeah. all the time. You have to literally just show up. You show up and do the show. Like we did our our podcast started like that in the fucking basement of a Mexican restaurant, the Creek in a Cave in uh, New York, and it's like we built all our shit by hand. It was and it, we didn't see nothing for 
six years. Nobody gave a fuck. Really? I mean, like, we started building whatever, but, like, Mm -hmm. now it's, like... Because we're not corporate. We're just, it's just us. It's just like, it's just the Marcus Parks runs the whole station. It's like 15 of us that do our bullshit. And like now this year for the first, we hit 1 million listeners for, uh, per week. Wow. That came out of fucking nowhere. The, for, what, what, what flipped it? What's the name of the podcast is last uh, podcast, last podcast on, the on the left. Yeah. So it's a horror thing. Yeah. We do serial killers, paranormal and the occult. And so real life stuff, real life stuff. It's all true crime comedy. So it's like what we do is like really fucking gross shit. Mm-hmm. And a part of it's got to do, it's like. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm a practitioner of chaos magic, so it's like I've done like various rituals. Like I sometimes will think that I'm influencing it, but I think it's really just about putting out an es- episode every week for seven years. What is chaos magic? It is the idea that uh, ritualized behavior can control reality. That reality is a thin hologram that you can change by changing your mind. So this is some Aleister Crowley shit? Yeah, but it's not a, with less cum eating. Aleister Crowley was eating a lot of his own cum. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. So, just, so by extension, I'm guessing Jimmy Page... Oh, he ate a bunch of his own cum. The big <laughs> the this is news to me. If you read about Thalema, which is Alistair Crowley shit, he'll like do to me like, what you've got to do is put your essence of seed in the woman and then suck it out with your lips. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to come inside of a lady mm-hmm. or a man right. because he was he used his butthole. Like honestly, he had an intern essentially that went out to the desert, this like young poet that was like trying to follow him around to write his memoirs. They took him out in the desert. He fed him a bunch of peyote. Uh-huh. And then he was like, fuck me in my room. <laughs> And they went out to the, the guy fucked his ass, <laughs> and he whipped using his butthole. He drove him insane. Like the literally, the guy lost his. He ended up in an insane asylum. Like like it's it's pretty fantastic. But chaos magic is like the modern equivalent of the boiling down of all that. Which is like you make sigils and rituals. I have like an altar and like I do all of this horseshit where it's just about like you got an altar. Yeah. How big is your apartment? I have North Hollywood. I got a lot of space. Okay, All right. and my girlfriend does it too. So we have like a little altars yeah. next to each other. That's oh, very really? Like, oh yeah, no, that's how I got her. Yeah, I mean she's oh. like a five foot ten stunt woman with like red hair. Like I, oh, it's just power. I'm Kevin James. I'm Kevin James. How do you mean that? Did they I'm a fat little dude. Has those TV shows where he yes. dates, marries beautiful women who would never be with him in real life. Yes. I understand. I love a, I love a short guy with a tall woman. I love it. I've dated a woman who is taller than me, and I always regretted that she would 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 play down. She would she would slump. I'm like, why do you fucking think I'm going out with you? I love it. She wears like big six inch heels, yeah. and it's just like because people then also be like, what president of what network is that man? When they see me like walking in with her, you know, uh, and shit, because it's mm-hmm. like he must have like her family hostage like in order for her to be with him no nah, you just outfit her i just you just got to be funny right so you were at home um chaos magicking for for tall bitches yeah and 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 success in podcastery which is sad now that i think about that yeah the only thing sadder than doing witchcraft <laughs> at your home is to benefit your podcast, podcast career fucking career that's <laughs> like it's very sad but it's a part of but a part of it is what it's just what we do. we just kind of kept at it for seven years and it was like and we were the first people doing like truly because it's like below gallows humor it's about give me an example what are you talking about like we just did chris benoit Okay, he's the pro wrestler who yeah. he, what, he dropped to his... Oh, no, 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 he killed his wife? Yeah, killed I'm his wife and his son. And, yeah. yeah, and we started off with a whole bit where it was just, he was just like, I just, in order to make sure I win WrestleMania 23, I had to kill my wife and child. They are dead weight. God, it's, it's like, a shame he didn't know that the outcome was preordained. <laughs> it's like, you're already going to win, man. Right. He was very sick. And if you were going to lose, killing your wife wasn't going to change that, my friend. No, I know. I think he just wanted to kill his wife and kid. It seems then, that way. And then he killed himself, which was this... I mean, I'm not going to say the saddest part. 
But I wish, it is. I wish it would. Yeah, it's the saddest part. But you know, it's like Chris. But the idea is that you just shoot for like the worst of the worst kind of humor because in the end, you're already listening to a comedy podcast mm-hmm. about like murder and insanity. So we're just going to take it to that dark level because I I like it at that level. And there are a million people a week who respond to that. Yeah, oh, moms, um, sexual deviants, like a weird, like weirdly across the board audiences that show up. Um, talking to Henry Zabrowski, and I, uh, I, I also wanted to ask you about. I don't know if this is so much the case, and your pretty face is going to hell. But uh, going back again to your episode of the characters on Netflix, if there's one through line through the characters that you play in that, it's that they're all humongous cocksuckers. Yes. Where does that come from? I think part of it is it's a definitely about anger towards cocksuckers it's a part of the idea of um also see ferreting out and seeing the patheticness in myself i like the idea of a man that is the the nude sketch that we talk about in the characters comes from a real story for me it was a stage sketch that we did for years okay so this is a a guy is meeting a woman for a date and he shows up at the restaurant completely naked and and you find out that he's been pushed down in a parking lot and stripped (laughs) and molested and like and then he just shows up because he still wants to be there for the date it started off as a sketch about (laughs) it About an office meeting. Where I love it was, how you could see you could see how many of the extras are laughing in yes, the background. It was pretty that. good. It was it was really nice that they let me. I was because it was all improv. Like we have done it for years. I've been doing that sketch for like twelve years, and I did that nude monologue for my Saturday Night Live audition. That was like the one thing that got me over. I came out totally nude and did the whole thing at the end. This is really your thing. This was. I mean, like I feel like now I've buried it with the characters. It's like I kind of like it. I put it to rest. I put it in a place where it's forced to live forever. That was your last waltz of that, performing totally sketch comedy naked. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, a, a part of it is about. Uh, so we we did it. It was about a true story about a dude that would call and cry in the office. We worked. Me and my buddy Holden worked for the this office of the nonprofit like weird tax credit company in New York for a long time, and my vice president that we were the assistant to uh would never take any calls he was a piece of shit i'm pretty certain that he was like funneling money he was doing something but this guy would call me like listen you gotta get me into kirk and tell him to stop ignoring my calls like he was crying so we had this like whole thing about like what's the most debased a man can be Mm -hmm. and it's really funny to play in that world of a man who has completely been let himself like rolled around on the ground stripped by other men forced to be like completely degraded and because i there's a part of it is I see a bit of that in myself. A part of that is I see I have contempt for people that I that, that part of me and people I see like that. Right, it's like Hitler hated the Jews because he was secretly one of them or something. Like that kind of shit where you like look at it and you're like, and, but then the rest of it's like, there's about like I I I I've been called a nice guy my whole life. It's like I'm a, I'm I'm a sweet little little man. I'm a little cherubic little like redheaded red pubed boy and on the inside. Yeah. But then the there's, idea there's the name for your book. Yes, you're redheaded redheaded red pubed boy. Um, but it's you know it was about you know got to go after these fucking pieces of shit and use your rage, use your comedy like a big old fucking hammer and going at people that you hate. That's a part of what Murder Fist was always about. I guess people for often overlook that fact that everybody has essentially the same will to power and people who are in positions to accumulate and exercise power do so but people who um i guess what i'm saying in a, in a long-winded way is many very nice people are, are are just people who lack the savvy or the capital to be dicks the nerve 
yeah. the nerve because sometimes you have to be a dickhead to get what you want. You mm-hmm. have to go and take it, which means you have to get you have to beat other people to get it. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is like and then being a nice guy, you're not going to do it all the time. So yeah. part of it is you get to live in that world and then you get to feel that power. So let me ask you about that because uh, I've, I've heard people may, I think I heard Eric Andre recently make the observation that when he got into the alternative comedy scene, he was disappointed to find out that everybody was just as big of an asshole as they were in the mainstream comedy scene. And again, I think that's you have a bunch of people who had the same will to power as the Dane Cooks of the world or whatever, but nobody gave a shit about them. And just as, as soon as somebody gave them, you know, hey, you're really good at this and maybe you should be on Saturday Night Live these guys become just as as big a, a, a dick and, yeah. and which is disappointing but and i'm actually kind of, why were you surprised though well, anybody it's, makes it's, it a certain it's, level it's funny to me that you could get an ego about there, there's certain things that, that that make more you know like where like i dress up like as a birthday cake like like that kind of shit or it's like yeah, where it's yeah, like yeah, oh, yeah. i'm like a pretending to be somebody else like the million dollar extreme guys when they were like pretending to be all right guys but then it went to their head I don't know, Million Dollar Extreme, guys. It was a show that got canceled on Adult Swim, and they never do that. They took a... They were doing, like, a character bit <laughs> yeah. about being, like, alt-right comedians. I see. And then they took it too far, because they never gave the wink. Mm. They never did the little bit of, like, this is a joke. They yeah. kind of kept going and going and going, and they get to the point where it's like, well, now you're just racist. Now you're just literally just... You've completely stepped past the bit yeah. of this, and now you've made it. Because, like, Andy Kaufman went really far, but he did not go... You knew it was supposed to be a joke. Like, in the end. Like, he kept trying to go, and it was always, like, about massaging those limits. But um, I actually am just surprised, Erica. I, I mean, everybody is an asshole on top. I've never, like, to be honest, that that's why I've been trying to personally change the concept of, you know, every time I've met a comedian, pretty much it's, like, much, much bigger than me. Or, like, one of my heroes, they've kind of always treated me like shit. Well, <laughs> so, well, okay, what is that? Because I have, you know, been dabbling in stand-up comedy for a, a little over a year now, and I have been flabbergasted at how nice people are to me and some of them know me because of the radio show but most of them don't and they've been beyond supportive to me which i which i I, i'm blown i expected them to be dicks to come at you or to at least be indifferent what i am discovering is that my energy is shifting though i feel like i used to experience that's what that's that's kind of what i'm suggesting is maybe you're that's what you're getting back yes so but now what i'm starting to discover is that when i was younger i would be treated a lot more like shit because i did not know how to stand up and Mm. be strong in a in a room of people that were like giant size egos where now i'm starting to grow a little bit in my skin and it does not come at me anymore as soon as i saw that i was like oh shit oh i just have to believe in myself oh i just have to know there's a reason why i'm in this room i'm in this room with you because i because i was invited here i'm supposed to be here and so now i just we're equals now whatever this Mm -hmm. is we're equals sitting in this room like just because you're chris rock or something doesn't mean you're like a better wiser like you're not king of the world we're both just dudes now yeah so we belong to the same species yeah so now we're in here because i would not be in this room if i wasn't going to be in this room you know what i mean and so that was a part of my own personal understanding and that's about fucking self-esteem issues and shit like that that probably comes from my comedy Mm. also comes from being like a weird exclusive like we're we're on the fringe of comedy so we're punching at everybody all the time and now you realize oh you kind of have to fold it in to being like both fuck you and like thank you for having me were you a weird kid? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I was you very. You say int- that like that would be. I should take that for granted. I think yeah. I I was uh, very intense. You're I was, from Florida. I was from Queens. Oh, okay. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> it's like a pipeline. It's like an underground fucking tunnel that goes from Queens to Florida. Um, but I uh, I was just a weird ass little kid. I was very intense. Like I would read a lot. Um, very kind of scared and strange, and I got into horror really early as a kid, but it used to scare the fuck out of me, mm-hmm. but I would watch it again and again and again, just yeah. because my mother, and I do something about it, and then I, I just turned into comedy at some point. Yeah, I think I might still be afraid of comedy, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> afraid of uh, <laughs> oh, horror. God. That was a very deep psychological reveal. Yeah, hello, Freud. Um, uh, because uh, I used to, I used to watch horror movies, and my wife is afraid of them, and, and doesn't... I think if we had more downtime, maybe she would broaden her entertainment horizons a little bit. But for the most part, we both work an awful lot and we have a child. So at best, we get like 90 minutes max of entertainment per day. So she's just, And it's always the very last thing that we do. So yes. it's like we're Dropped. just going to watch – we're going to watch Adult Swim. We're going <laughs> to yeah. watch you know something that's that's stupid and funny and, and, and not challenging at all that. And, 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 but I think she kind of feels like – she's not dumb. She, she, she understands why horror is a thing. But she is one of these people who's like – why would I watch a movie where bad things happen to people that's going to make me feel bad? Exactly. Why would I watch a movie where scary things happen to somebody that's going to make me feel scared? This is like the dumbest thing I can do with yeah. my free time. Yeah, I'm literally just watching torture. It's like yeah. I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I- I'm psychologically torturing myself to, to top <laughs> off the day. See, I think I just laugh. See, because I, I, I think I, I, I liked it, and then I don't watch it because of her, because we spend so much so much of the screen time that I have is shared with her, at least television time, that now I try to go back a little bit like when she's out of town and like dude I, I stopped the Babadook I haven't put it back on yet you gotta put that Babadook back on man it's <laughs> no really good and also Devil's Candy's really good okay it's a good new one but I just I don't know me and my girlfriend are both into it though yeah. so we'll watch them at night mm-hmm. but we're also very big like documentaries people that's a problem so we slide into some like really fucked up documentaries and so we now are trying to mix that up because it'll like ruin our night we watched that uh, Who Took Johnny I'm not familiar. It's about um, the, the Franklin cover-up, which is this concept. It was about, basically about like ch- children being kidnapped and uh, being used in like government-funded sex tapes. All of this shit. Very in this, intense. In this nation. In this nation. Oh, it's here. Uh, okay, so. And it happens in like St. Louis and Kansas City. Like, it happens. Re- happens. Present tense. Oh, yeah. And the, the idea is that the CIA, but it's like then it goes into conspiracy world where the CIA uses I, I, this group called like it, the searchers. Sounds, it sounds like it, belo- it begins in the conspiracy world. It does. And then it loops all the way around. Huh. But it was this, the woman, the mom of Johnny Gosh has been searching for him and saying like, they're, they're the reason why the government keeps shutting down the investigations of looking for my son. And it's just me and my girlfriend just like. At night, it's like ten o'clock at night, and the phone will be like, "Okay, we watch this. What do we do now?" Be like, "Cupcake Wars." <laughs> it's just like anything to watch afterwards. Like, what the fuck is wrong with us? Poor Johnny Gosh. Yeah, I mean, he's a tell you what, he made it to movies. There's so many people who come to Los Angeles just to get into films. That's right. And think about how much they would beg to be kidnapped and put into movies. Yeah, just to become the uh, the uh, the subject of a well-regarded documentary. <laughs> That's big. Uh, well, one more thing from the Netflix thing, uh, Dune. Yeah. I've tried to read it once or twice, and I've never made it more than a page or two, and that's not fair. That's obviously not fair. It's deep, nerdy, horny bullshit. Horny. You so have what, 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 can you, first of all, just tell me like what in broad strokes, what is what is the story? What's the deal? Dune is about a, uh, it's like a family, it's like inter-family politics and space politics about this, uh, this, 
drug called the spice that's in this big uh, sand planet that you have to go to and get. And everyone's like addicted to the spice and it's like it gives certain people psychic powers and it's about these kind of warring nations that are basically fighting over like this dr- this drug world. It's essentially an allegory for like the war on drugs and shit like that. Uh-huh. But what it turns into is that there's a series of psychic witches that can control all men with their vagina muscles. And that there's one dude who's the one, and this is a spoiler, that the main dude, uh, Duncan, who's like the, 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 the lead throughout the whole story, like towards Duncan? the end, like, yeah, this Duncan. Is a space Odyssey where the main character is named Duncan. Donkey, okay. essentially, um, his cock is strong enough to to fight against the orgasm muscles of the women, gotcha. and he fucks them hard enough that they're like, "Oh, you are the one." And it's written. I mean, Robert or the guy who wrote it, Frank Herbert. Yeah, Frank Herbert who wrote it. It's um. He's just a big fat guy, and you know for a yeah, fact you that, don't say. Yeah. Has, has there ever been a woman who enjoyed this book and liked uh, read this book and liked it? I'm certain. Maybe I don't know. I've never, I've never, I've never, I've never heard of one. Because the problem is, is it's giving it's anybody who's easily turned off by a book with a glossary in the back of it, a fake made up words. Yes. But I love it because it's fun. All the psychic talk is fun. And then I thought that the reveal that it was all about just how great this dude's dick is and know for a fact it's Frank Herbert's. That's he, what he thinks his penis can do or wants it to or do. He, w- he wishes it would do. Right. Yeah. And so I just Boy, love that's it. literal. Usually, usually people will sublimate their, no. their will to sexual power with some sort of metaphor or, no. or, or, or literary construct. Mm-mm. No. It's all about, I remember getting I will to, save the universe with my dick. Literally 5,000 pages of book. By the time you get to the point where it's like, and his wait, wait, cock. If, wait, it's not, how, how, many, how many pages is it? Right? Probably like five, probably the it's series. Not fi- it's not five. Oh, okay. Probably close to like 5,000 pages. The first one is what, like five, six, seven, eight, so nine. I want to say it's like six, seven hundred. And then they grow. Okay. <laughs> they keep growing. Yeah. They're like, the last one's like 1,300 pages. And in the end, it's just being like, and his spurt. Calm the witch. And it's like, oh my God, this is what we got to. But I, at the same time, I just think it's really fun. And also, I felt intellectually, Dune was a comedic property that no one had stepped on yet. I had not seen a Dune joke yet. And that's why I wanted to ask you about it is because that was like one of those things that I feel like was in the ether when I was a, a teenager. Like, I know it's an article of faith that the, what, David Lynch's movie adaptation of Dune is he fucked it up, he dropped the ball. Yes. So I know that this was a very important thing to a lot of people. Nerds. Nerds. But, uh, like, at this point, like, I understand what uh, Dungeons and Dragons is, even if I never participated. I'm guessing you would have been. I have. I yeah, have, I yes. have. Whereas Dune, I feel like, has essentially fallen by the wayside. And I, 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 it was pleasant to be reminded of, oh, yeah, what was the fucking deal with Dune? Because people were real hung up on it. It's worth it. I love it. I've read it now three or four times, the whole Oof. series over and over again. I love it. I because a part of it is like kind of putting the spice out there, being like, please let me play Duke Harkonnen in a film at some point because I belong in that. Mm-hmm. I know because he, he's immensely fat and he sits in a floating chair. Yeah, we put I, we put the weight back on for that. I'll do whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'll suck. I'll suck dick. I'll suck dick to get in there. I'll loop Pearl in it. Flip, bring it back. It did. Wait, did they have to suck his dick? They did. So, I mean, I don't think they wanted to. Well, I know that they didn't. I know that neither the Backstreet Boys nor NSYNC wanted to fillet Lou Pearlman, but I didn't know. I, I mean, I guess there's always been assumptions and whispers and innuendos I'm and stuff. Certain. They at least looked at it. Um, what he do you took it I, out? I think he's dead, so I don't even know if we need to say it allegedly yeah. anymore. But is that is that been established in a court of law, or is this just your theory? I thought he just enslaved them. I didn't know he sexually abused them. No, as well. he was definitely like testing the like the little like curtain 
like ropes and all these little boys. You know what I mean? Like he went out there and he went like long enough, long enough, long enough. You could we could replace this one. This is your theory. I I don't know if it's a theory. I actually think that it's closer to truth. But I know that he definitely did something. He molested the. Like, he, he did a molest on a couple of them because he, you know it's again. It's like going to the fresh market. A chef goes out to the to the go to the get like the, the finest ingredients, like at a restaurant, a lovely restaurant like Moza yes. or the Providence here in Los Angeles, and they mm-hmm. go out and they see the lovely vegetables and stuff. You got to feel them and smell them and lick them and yeah, stuff. You like need that. to molest and have sex with <laughs> the vegetables <laughs> before you can put them out for sale, because that's what he did. That's this is uh, this is a far fetched theory. <laughs> I don't think got. it's that even far fetched. You know what I mean? It's just he just I, really I, wait, loved wait, okay, it. Okay, so so not only. Did he um, cast and molest the members of the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC? He did so not solely for sexual gratification, but because he wanted to to get a sense of their sexual charisma. He's a before he man. <laughs> he is a businessman. He is grooming <laughs> these kids for a career, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to marry them. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to. No, he didn't. He 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 loved him and left him. Also, you know what? They get older, and that's the worst part. It's like having a puppy going to a dog. It's kind of like when that's why Paris Hilton was buying all those like permanent puppies that like die after four years. They're like a dog that looks like a puppy till it's like four years old and then its throat collapses. First time hearing of those. Yeah, genetically modified dogs. That's the plot spoiler alert of uh, Boss Baby. What? Which I uh, <sighs> do not recommend to anybody who has children oh who's God. listening right now. Oh, you were forced to go see Boss Baby? I took like two naps during it. Cookies are for closers. I sat in a chair. They had a new. They have new chairs now uh, that move. Oh God! So what did it do? So because there's a lot of like sweeping camera stuff as the boss baby is up to his shenanigans. <laughs> so fucking stupid. So at least there was kind of that for playing a couple of extra, paying a couple extra bucks. You know, we did the 3D glasses and your chair moves around a little bit and you go, okay, this is. This isn't a terrible movie. This is just a really mediocre multimedia experience. Yes. So yes. that was. <laughs> this is just a shitty amusement park ride. Right. Where I right. have to watch this boss baby do dumb yeah. shit. But I've never done that one before. So for the first time, it was it was you know it was it was a way to pass your way through a yeah really lonesome movie. But back to it with Lou, you know Lou Pearlman again. Mm-hmm. They get older. Eventually, he's going to stop fucking them because then they're starting to make him money. They're starting to get back on the return. That's why you got to get new ones. You know what I mean? So he's not mm-hmm. always fucking them. In the end, he's trying to make them sing better, which is the Vatican's been doing it for years with these altar boys. Beautiful castrato voices. Yes. that just come from the, the, the a fear of being molested. And it's great for them. About performance. Mm. This explains the Aaron Carter phenomenon. Yes. So your pretty face is going to hell. Did you, did you have anything to do? You said you didn't make that show. I... Did not. I didn't make it. Mm. Dave Willis and Casper Kelly made it, and then thankfully hired me because I needed money and a job, and I also like to be tortured. So the the premise of this show is it is set in hell, and it is the relate the the working relationships of the demons who are charged with torturing the denizens. See, we went and we did, uh, yes, because it was originally the first season was like way more of an office comedy, like we had a lot more office comedy in it, but now it's gotten way more like Laverne and Shirley. It's way more like wacky, tacky, we leave the office on adventures and do shit, which I think is a much funnier thing because it's like becoming a gigantic parody of just sitcoms and different tropes as it goes, which I think is really fun. So it's like we're touching all different types of comedy. I'm looking to be the human version of Stimpy. That's like what I want from my life and from uh, your preface going to hell. Well, I kind of wanted to ask you about that. What is your um, 
what is your overall career ambition? And here's a way that I would sort of try to crystallize that question. Is there any one person that you see in entertainment that you go, would that guy or that girl have, oh, it's going to be a guy. <laughs> is, there, <laughs> is, there, is there, would that guy has, that's exactly the kind of situation I would like to be in. Well, look at Dana Snyder. Like, uh, even just to him, it's like looking at his life, the guy that, play, that plays Master Shake, he's like a voiceover artist. It's and like, he's also, he's uh, in the episode that I saw of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, is he a cast member? Yeah, it's cast member. It's just like, honestly, I'd love to just go, I'd love to go completely voiceover for like the next 10 years and then mm-hmm. come back when I'm 60 and pull a Danny DeVito. Like that's kind of, that's kind of the idea is. You could DeVito? I want a DeVito. I want to go, come back on a, on a, a funny show when I'm like seven years old. Because if, if it's true that you just don't change mentally, I think that's when I'm really going to hit my stride. How bald it's are like, you? I'm getting there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give, it, give, it, give it a few years. It's going to go all the way back. I'm slathered with Rogaine right now. Are you? Oh, yeah, because my agents beg me for three more years for, with hair. And I don't want to do the pills because it'll hurt your penis. And the last thing I can lose is my penis. Uh, Rogaine, in your experience, works? Yeah. I and, think so. And your agents, frankly, spoke to you about, we need you to have Got to do something about this situation. Because I'm always unclear about, I, I've had limited interaction with like real true Hollywood agents. And it's funny to me that they, they really are, in my limited experience, exactly what they are yes. parodied to be. They're not human beings. Beings, there. Uh, the parodies exist for a reason. Yeah, it's because they look at you, and I, I get it. I get it because in the end, I am a product to be sold. I am mm-hmm. in in the world of of Hollywood. That's what you do. You make a little. You put a little man in a little box, right. and you have to have a little solid. It has to have a solid description on it because that's how executives executives just see like the four word like fat. Redheaded, funny, beard. Like they'll see like that like little slot and that's be like, your, "That's your brand. That's your yeah. lane." And you slide it into a thing, and then it's like, and a part of it is that you've got hair. Matt Servito talks about it all the time. Like the guy who plays Satan, your pretty face is going to hell. He talked about the transition from hair to no hair is a big jump for an actor, and you have to manage it. He's like, because you show up as a guy with hair for years, and they view you as a man with hair, and then all of a sudden, no hair. Now you're playing bosses and cops. Before you were playing like stoner grocery clerks and shit like that. That's what I was doing when I had hair. Now as you get balder, you can play mayors and cops. And stuff yeah, like that. you could play some bureaucrats. Be a bureaucrat. Yeah, you would yeah. make a hell of a of an official of some sort. <laughs> yes, I guess an umpire more than really. You would probably not be running around a basketball court. No, 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 no. no. They could tell. Uh, you sports guy at all? No. That's the saddest thing. I feel like as a ma- as a dude, I don't really get talk. I can't talk very much about sports. I can't tell you how many times it's bailed me out, man. I, I cannot, know because I'm not. You know, you know what kind of guy I am, and 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 I come in contact from uh, yeah, being a parent now. Yeah, small talk with. I, I cannot tell you how many times it's bailed me out, and it has never bailed me up so much as it is nowadays when I'm just shoulder to shoulder with some man who does not want to be talking to me because he's like an actual man. Yes. He's like a father. He doesn't understand your job. He assumes that you just go like blah, 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 all day and you get paid to do nothing and he really doesn't understand his work. Which is essentially true. But but it, it's but it's a lie. We don't lie about it. You say how hard it is because then it's like we get patted on the back to say how hard it is. It's, 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 it's stressful but it's not work. I've always said it's to me um, doing radio it's, it's like hosting a party. 
Yes. And I think that some people would enjoy that more than other people. I don't enjoy being responsible for everybody else's fun. You, The host can have fun hosting a party. Of course, people wouldn't host parties if it was impossible. But there's that level of responsibility that keeps you on your toes until everybody's drunk enough that you can go, okay, this this – this baby's, this baby's on wheels now. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I have nothing to say. Small talk. It's like literally, I. Sit yeah, what, what do you What do you say? Because I'll, 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 I'll just bring up the Super Bowl, and I can oh, talk yeah. about it, and I'm happy to talk about it. I, I'm not bullshitting. Like I, I fucking, I don't know why I spend so much time reading headlines on ESPN.com. I'm reading about college football players. I don't even watch college football, but it's ammo. It, yeah, it, my it, shit yeah, is it, all like that, that. Yeah, like, do you think JonBenet Ramsey's father hired people to kill her, or yeah. do you think he did it himself? Like, it's like stuff like I'll float a question like that. Small and then talk. I'll, small talk. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he'd have the wherewithal to completely twist her head completely off? You know what I mean? Like all of that kind of shit. Oh my god, was she? Was her head twisted off? She had a rough. She had a rough go. I didn't really tune into the JonBenet. Show, um, Dude, all that it's much. hilarious. Well, now, now I might because the OJ thing was a lot more rewarding than I expected it so to be. Good, it was so good. It was amazing, and I even even watched the ESPN one, which is apparently just. Have you seen it? Apparently, just as good. Eight hours long, and it's fantastic. The ESPN that whole thing, that that whole uh, OJ Simpson. Uh, for what's it? How did it? What um. Oh my brain! Uh, that that documentary series, like eight episodes long, because it was their thirty for thirty essentially, but it did eight of them. Made in America. Made in America, and it's really fantastic setting up the context of the crimes and then what he did. And it was like it's a brutal murder. Like what he did, you could tell. Like he almost decapitated that woman. Like, and then the other dude got he got fucked up. OJ was mad. He was not convicted of that crime. I, I just feel that. So tell me about the John Bonet thing, because I don't, I, I, I know next to nothing. Like the parents had to have done it, right? There's a lot of conjecture. My own personal theory is that the so the the conspiracy arm of it is that the father was working for a software company that did the transition software for when emails had to switch between the regular government and the quote-unquote shadow government when there was a massive emergency. Oh, and a we're part- going here. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then a part of it was that he was asked to be involved in the cover-up of the lead up to 9-11 and our, our quote-unquote inside job of it. Mm-hmm. And he said no. And then they murdered his daughter. Like, essentially someone from some form of the Black Ops murdered JonBenet Ramsey and used the... uh ransom note to frame the parents well that adds up right it, it does tie the whole thing up in a neat little bow it's, <laughs> yes it's, it's really easy. going for it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that easy um it's a brutal crime though uh, on the episode that i watched of your pretty face is going to hell which airs sunday night season 3.5 is underway on adult swim there was a bit with uh, some desperate settlers who were forced to eat their baby <laughs> yes you're relishing the memory <laughs> One of my funniest parts of that episode is like it focuses on the baby. Uh, and it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would. You would not eat your own child. I understand because you just, how old, how old's your, your kid? He's, he's five. Oh, well, now you got some time in there. I don't have the same uh, blind attachment to my child that seems to <laughs> overtake most parents. And I'm honestly unsure about whether or not. Other parents are just exaggerating how attached to their kid they are or if there is something sort of a little bit psychologically wrong with me. Like people – I've heard so many people say the best thing about being a parent is uh, now now it's not all about me. 
now I now I take a back seat. That's and, the worst part about being a parent. Well, well guess what? I didn't take a fucking backseat to anybody. <laughs> I'm gonna do shit for this guy all the fucking time. Yeah. You know, where I was, it's, it is a it is a it is a, a healthy part time job that I've got. And, and in the beginning, it was more like a, a full time job. But like, uh, I'm still looking out for number one over here. And got I don't to. know if other parents feel that same way. Or like, I will I will like when it when it's uh, you know we're, we're we're doling out the chocolate and I break it in half like. I, I give I keep the bigger piece for yeah. myself like every fucking time and I don't tell anybody I'm doing it. One day he'll buy his own chocolate. Like that's kind of yeah, the idea. exactly. Like, and he and when I'm getting free chocolate from him, he can give me the <laughs> shitty break of it too. I think that they uh, obviously are lying. I think everyone's everyone's keeping up appearances because mm-hmm. you can't you can't just be like I hate my kid. It gets to a point where it's like, but you know, you're but their job now. <laughs> like I love being in show business. I love my job, but it's still a job. They're still. I wake up and go like, oh fuck, the last thing I want to do is work today. It's still that is what being a parent is. I can't imagine anything different. Constantly. I can't imagine just like looking at my child and being like, he's an angel. Well, you do that too. Yeah, you, you do that. Too. I'm fond of the guy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I like him a lot. I really, really do. I just don't, um, and I don't put him on a pedestal. And everybody, I, I can't relate to that that thing that's supposed to click in where um, you know somebody has a kid, and then you talk about uh, if it comes up, you don't obviously introduce the subject <laughs> yeah. that the kid will one day have a sex life. Yeah, I totally get. That he's going to do scummy shit with girls because every fucking guy that I know who was able to do scummy shit with girls did scummy shit with girls. It might be a different world. It might not be able to get away with the same shit with girls that you used to be able to. I, I, I hope not. I hope not. But, but it, it, people are like, oh, I can't, I can't even I can't even picture. Like, I, I can't even know. Like, people like, will literally. But still, I mean, this is. I can't believe this is still being said. I, I, I know this was a cliche 20, 30 years ago, but just like, not my kid. Not, no, no, no. My kid won't do. Like. You can't actually bel- you can't actually mean that, and I think there might still be some parents who say that and fucking mean it. That makes no sense because it's like think about how easy it was and fun it was for you to just make him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You make him because part of it is that you can make another kid in a second, but also it's like imagine just what he's doing from ten to thirteen. When that door is closed, like that's a, that to me is that know. they're, yeah, they're, they're going to be doing weird shit in there. Yeah. He's going to be sticking his dick between the mattresses, like I did. Like you mean, like all that weird, horrible. Like what surface feels most like a breast? He's going to come into the kitchen to get a drink because he's he's dehydrated and he's going to be real sweaty. <laughs> and you're lathered not- <laughs> with it and being like, I was playing Spider Man in my room. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally. Yeah, he's going to your your son's going to fuck. I, I hope so. He I'm, better. I'm, I'm I'm rooting for him. Just get out there. I'm the I I, I would not um uh, uh you know wish the alternative on anybody. No, it's, the celibacy is a horrible crime. That's the worst part about the Roman Catholic Church. Is the well the celibacy is what makes which drives him. It's got to be in the top ten anyway. I, that's one of the that's <laughs> one of the worst things. <laughs> and the songs. The songs are unbelievably bad. The songs are them. just criminal. You raised Catholic. Who heart in well, why are we doing this? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? Shut up! Shut the fuck up! I was a uh, altar boy. Yeah, I wanted so to be a priest. I. Yeah, yeah, and now that turns you into a Satanist eventually. Yeah. You, did you get Lou Perlman'd? You know what's funny? Mm. And maybe it's not funny. Funny story about funny priest story. molesting kids. <laughs> there was a massive molestation scandal at my church, and I was one of the only boys who wasn't. 
Well, you got that going for you. I was a charming kid, though. I guess they knew that I had a big mouth. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, you guys did the thing with Father Thomas, huh? Yeah, I really sucked it. He yeah. said I was great at it. Well, they just liked you as a friend. Yeah. I think, you know, I understand. I've been friends on before. Hey, we got to go. Where does an hour go? Henry Zabrowski, you are at Henry Loves You on Twitter, and your pretty face is going to hell. Season 3.5 is underway Sunday nights on Adult Swim, and you have your podcast, last podcast on the left. Yes, sir, on Cape Comedy Radio. Hail Satan. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, buddy.